Coming up on the Switch Lake City podcast, we are going to be talking about Summer League a little bit. We've had some games in between this podcast and the last podcast. We're also going to be talking about a question I have. Who has the most to prove on the Jazz next year? And to wrap it up, we are going to talk a little bit about the midseason NBA tournament, which was announced in Vegas this last week. Kind of interesting. I'm excited to dive into that a little bit and explore some of what I think makes it a fun tournament. Um, But yeah, first a word from our sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. As always, check the show notes for details. This episode of the Switch Lake City podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I want to tell you about the easiest way to get in on some action on the NBA. It's Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. Just pick higher or lower on your favorite or least favorite player stats and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players to fill out your pick entry, get every pick right, and take home some solid hard cash. Use the code SWISH, S-W-I-S-H, and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 by Underdog. That means if you pay $100, then they will match that $100 deposit, and you'll have $200 to put on fantasy games. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. And don't forget to register with my promo code SWISH to get your fantasy, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Sign up today with promo code SWISH and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 plus and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. In terms of apply, concerned with your play, call 1 800 522 4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. The headline of Utah Jazz Summer League, if you're just talking about the Utah Jazz, is Keontae George. So let's start with Keontae George while looking at Summer League. Unfortunately, he twisted an ankle in the last game. It looks like it wasn't that bad. Uh, Tony Jones reported that he was able to walk off after. He kind of limped off the floor and then he was um, walking after the game. So that's probably a good sign. Ankle twists are so weird because I feel like you can have twists that look super bad or sprains that look super bad like the action of it looks super bad but it doesn't end up being that bad and on the other side you can have ankle sprains uh like a friend pointed out steph curry one of steph curry's sprains where he just tweaked it ever so slightly like so quick um and it ended up being really bad he was out for like six months so it's really hard to read like from the sprain from when you're seeing it like in the game um, and seeing what it actually is. I guess that's why we have doctors. So shout out to the doctors. Um, but Keontae George, he has been the headline of Summer League. He has been so good for the Jazz. And there's a lot I want to dive into with him. I know I did like 35, 40 minutes on him last week, so I'm not going to take too much time um, on Keontae George. But just a couple things I want to talk about. So the first game we saw him against the Timberwolves, he had 26 points, 7 assists. Really good game. One interesting thing um, that Minnesota provided in their in what was kind of a unique matchup. I, I don't think the Jazz had seen a team quite like Minnesota in summer league, and that was their length. Like th- they have some, they've got some players first of all, but they also have a lot of length on that team, even on their summer league team. Uh, Leonard Miller, super super lengthy. Uh, Really interesting player too. Like I don't, I don't want to take too much time on Leonard Miller, but as somebody who 
has a rooted interest in the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm excited about him, and I think he could be possibly the steal of the draft. Um, Joshua Minot, he is another guy with really long wingspan, and they had um, him on Keontae George for large portions of the game. So I was curious to see how is he going to handle the length, and what is he going to look like going against guys that are a lot bigger than him, um, because I think primarily you've had him matched up against ones. You've had him matched up against point guards. In this game, um, you were without Ochai Bashi. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you are out without Ochai Bashi against the Timberwolves. And so you had Colby Ross starting with Keontae George. And so Keontae is playing at the two, which forces a bigger defender on Keontae. Why, why was I watching the length and how he was handling it? It's because I think if Keontae develops into a star, those are going to be the guys that are guarding him. Um, looking at probably the Jazz's like future starting lineup. Let's say it's Keontae, Ochai, Laurie, Collins, Walker in two years. And, or maybe work Hendricks in there. I don't know. I'm not going to get too much into it. The point is, I think you have Keontae playing at the one. And if he's your main creator in that lineup, which I think he is, then teams are probably going to have their best defenders. That means he's going to be going against the Matisse Thibels, the Mikel Bridges, uh, Marcus Smart, Dylan Brooks, and some of these guys that are good defenders, Alex Caruso. So that's going to probably be his matchup assignment. So how does he handle that length, their defensive instincts? I think that's really important. The first thing I noticed just while watching the game is how he was using open space and just creating space. I talked a lot about his shot creation and how he is able to create space. I've been really impressed with it. I was very impressed with how he's able to use open space. Um, Oftentimes you'll see him like two or three feet behind the three-point line. He's not like hugging the line. He's kind of hanging back. And what this allows him to do is be able to create speed, um, change his space, and be able to get to different spots, uh, as well as beat some of the defenders that, while they are lengthier, while they do have maybe an athletic advantage as far as their physical profiles go, they might not be as fast as Keontae. Also, Keontae's speed is has been awesome. It's been a revelation. I don't think jazz fans were expecting this. Like go watch his highlights at Baylor. And he just looks like a completely different dude as far as his speed. And part of that is probably was his weight. Um, and another part of that was his injury. So him being healthy in the summer league and having dropped a few pounds, he just looks completely different. And I think that's going to be really key for his career trajectory Um, be one of these speedy guards that can get past defenders and for him to have a change of pace I think that also opens up a lot Um, there's one specific play and a lot of people are going to be thinking about this play I've been thinking about it ever since it happened it was against Leonard Miller so they're kind of matched up one-on-one at the top and Keontae sizes him up a little bit he does like one player I, I really admire as far as a size up dribbler is James Harden. Uh, I think James Harden's one of the best at it. This play kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, a little bit of James Harden, uh, Keontae's play on this. On this, He kind of sizes up, attacks, um, and on the size up, Leonard Miller starts backing up and backing up, and then Keontae just gets to his spot because Miller has sagged off a little bit. Keontae's able to shoot fast, and it goes in. That's what you want to see from Keontae. Um, Being a self-creator 
is just incredibly valuable on this Jazz team. I think that's what the Jazz have been looking for. And having a guy like Keontae, somebody that can create like this, that can create for himself as well as for others, um, it's it's crucial. I also just think his ability to create like this is going to open up so much in the regular season or in the postseason for his teammates. A lot of times if you get a guy creating like that, um, maybe you start sending a double at him, especially out of like a screen and roll. Or you'll defenders will kind of play more aggressively and maybe he's able to beat them. I just think that's going to open up a lot of playmaking for other guys and having a good supporting cast around him, having a guy that is an elite off ball perimeter threat in Laurie Markkinen is going to be really fun to watch. So maybe that doesn't happen this year, but man, just keep, just keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on what Keontae can do. Um, unfortunately got injured. I would be surprised if we see him again in summer league. I think he's he's shown everything you want him to show. Even that game um, versus the Nuggets, it's incredible how much of a stark difference there is between the Jazz when Keontae's playing versus when he's not playing. And they were up at twenty by they were up by twenty at half. Like Keontae played ten minutes in this game and was plus nineteen. They were they were cooking. Uh, the Nuggets were looking really bad. And the Jazz only won by like two or three. So what does that say about Keontae? When the Jazz had their summer league high in turnovers, 19 turnovers, they just did not have a ball handling presence. It forced other players to be out of their comfort zones. Like I think Ochag Baji was handling the ball a lot more than you would like him to. And maybe that just, I don't know. I think that goes to show how key his presence could be. Maybe not for the Jazz immediately, but in the long term to have a guy where you can clearly see he has an impact on winning and he had an impact on facilitation for the Jazz Summer League team. I think there's a lot to like there, and that's something to keep an eye on just as his career goes on. How are the Jazz going to look when he's on the floor versus when he's off the floor? Next, I kind of want to talk about Ochag Baji. I've I've been pretty pretty straightforward on this. The two guys in summer league I wanted to watch were Keontae George and Ochag Baji. Um, Ochag Baji had an interesting game. I want to focus on his game versus Denver, and I think he's improved a little bit on the ball. Um, I think as a scorer, he has improved on the ball. There were a couple plays last night where he had some, he had some really nice finishes. He had one where he got the inbounds pass from like three quarters court dribbles all the way down and gets to the basket, goes around a screen, gets to the basket. It was great. That's what you want to see from Ochai. He also had one in a screen on roll with Micah Potter, I believe where he came around the screen and just settled right into a shot after the, the both the defenders collapsed. Uh, neither of them went through the screen and I'm just like easy reads like that. I made this point on Twitter, but I think easy reads like that are underrated for a guy like Ochai, who is still trying to figure out, what exactly his game will be in the NBA. Um, So for him to be able to make reads like that, I thought that was really promising. However, this is the big, but this is the big, however, there were some really bad turnovers against the Nuggets. Uh, Colin Gillespie out of Villanova, shout out. He's a champ. He had these two turnover. He forced two, two turnovers against Ochai, stole the ball from him twice on just like plays that 
I really thought Ochai shouldn't have turned it over on. Uh, one of them, it, it just got picked out of his hands because he had the ball in a bad position. And that kind of that, that makes me a little bit worried about Ochai and his on-ball skills. Because if a guy like Colin Gillespie is doing that, what are guys that are actually in NBA rotations going to be able to do? How is he going to handle Alex Caruso when Alex Caruso's poking at him? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about there. Which, which just begs the question, like, do we need to temper our expectations on Ochai? And here's the thing. A lot of Jazz fans, we saw him at the end of the season. He had a really good stretch. Has he ever been, like, efficient, though? That's kind of my question with Ochai. Is he going to be able to be an efficient NBA player? And I'm going to get more into this a little bit later when I talk about who has the most to prove on the Jazz next year. But just, just keep that question in your mind. Um, comparing Ochai to some other summer league players in his class it is a really interesting thought, thought exercise. And just like, it's interesting to go through and see who are the second year players falling out in summer league. So you have Jabari Smith Jr., who's averaging 35.5 points per game in summer league. He played two games and called it quits. He looked really good. Then you got Tari Eason. He's another guy, another second-year guy. He's averaging 23 points per game, uh, nine rebounds. He also played two games with Jabari Smith and then called it quits. Jaden Hardy is another guy, um, kind of got drafted a little bit after Ochag Baji. He's had a really good summer league. I think he's shown everything you want him to show. The efficiencies have been really bad, but he's looking like a guy that's a second-year guy. The point is, some of these guys that come in their second year uh, – some other names to throw out, Shaden Sharp, Benedict Matherin, Jaden Ivey, Chet Holmgren. I know he didn't play last year, but he looks like a second-year dude. Jalen Duran, uh, Max Christie. There's kind of a lot of guys when you start to go down the list. Jake Laravia, Usman Dang, Andrew Nembhard, Malachi Branham. And they've dominated Summer League. I don't know if Ochai has necessarily dominated Summer League to the level that some of them have, but I do think he is on tier with some of them um some of the other guys that are like right around his point per game averages are usman jing who's averaging like who's averaging 17.5 points per game andrew nembhard who's averaging 17.5 points per game ocha is also averaging 17.5 points per game so he's right with them then jake laravia's like right above ochai jaden ivy's right above there shaden sharp is just barely above there so ochai like relative to other second-year players. I don't think he's playing bad. Um, look at some other guys. Like, I'm curious how A.J. Griffin is playing uh, because that's kind of one of the one of the guys I was watching for. Um, and I don't know how much A.J. Griffin has played, but he's a guy that was drafted three picks after, or maybe two picks after Otay Agbaji. So I was curious to see how he would do in Summer League as a second-year player. I think he's done fine. I'm actually not able to find his stats right now, um, which maybe isn't a good good sign for AJ Griffin. But like, how has Johnny Davis done? How has he been able to do in his second summer league after a really rough start? I mean, he's averaging 14 points per game. Like, the efficiencies are worse. Ochai is looking like a better pick than the number 10 pick. Dyson Daniels. I think Dyson Daniels is man i i really like dyson daniels uh i love what he does as a playmaker but yeah he's not he hasn't quite had the same summer league that ochai's had i think he's been dominant in his own ways um 
he's been a really good passer, good rebounder, and like they're hard players to compare because they play two different really two really different games. But relative to like some of the players in this draft range, I think Ochai's playing fine. Um, he's not necessarily standing out, which is which is okay. But he's looking as good as like Usman Jiang and Jake Laravia, who has picked a couple picks behind him. Uh, he's kind of in that same tier with Jaden Ivey, with Shaden Sharp. And I think that's an okay place to be if you're Ochai Bashi. I, I really do. Um, more than anything, I think this summer, this summer in the summer league, you've learned what Ochai's role is and some of his limitations. The Jazz are 3-0 in Summer League. Which means if they win on Friday, I believe this episode will be up by Friday, then they play Phoenix. And if they win versus Phoenix, then you're in the Summer League tournament. That's kind of fun. Um, I know the Summer League has been disappointing for a lot of Jazz fans. I get it. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that we're like two... We're one of two teams that doesn't have their first round picks playing. The only other player I can think of that isn't playing in the first round is Derek Whitehead, who is out with an injury. And so the fact that two of our first round picks and Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh aren't playing is super disappointing, super frustrating. I get it. But we're also kind of watching a fun run. Um, I think those games in the Salt Lake Summer League definitely helped. But now you're you're looking at Johnny Juzang, Micah Potter, Colby Ross, Nick Ungenda. Ochag Baji go into the summer league tournament. Probably um, it's a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. We'll see what happens this weekend. I do think look it's summer league. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to change your culture, but Hey, getting a trophy, getting a ring. I kind of don't know how I feel about the rings, but getting a ring um, in the summer. I think that's, that does a lot for your confidence, especially for some of these younger guys. So I'm all in. I'm, I'm all for it. Go Jazz. We'll see what happens in the Summer League tournament. Who has the most to prove on the Jazz next year? This is a question I posed on Twitter. Got a lot of different answers. I want to kind of run through a couple of the candidates, um, some of the ones that I thought of, um, as well as Jazz Twitter. The first one, and I think this is the big one, is Colin Sexton. There is a clear difference between Colin Sexton pre-injury versus Colin Sexton post-injury. So he got injured, um, I believe, in the 2021 season, 2020 to 2021. He played 60 games that season, was playing 35 minutes a game. I love that. That's an incredible motor. And he was averaging 24 points per game, four assists per game, uh, shot 47% from the field, 37% from three, averaging 2.8 turnovers. It's like a pretty solid season all things considered the discourse around Colin Sexton was really interesting though and you had the Colin Sexton Darius Garland backcourt uh throwback to that and shout out to what an awesome nickname the Sexland backcourt I loved it um they were winning some fun games I mean like don't get me wrong they weren't a playoff team but they had this stretch where they like beat the Brooklyn Nets with James Harden Kyrie and Kevin Durant a couple times and they were looking like a really fun, young, promising team with a backcourt of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And those two looked like somewhat complimentary while also being a little bit redundant. The next year, Colin Sexton gets injured pretty early into the season. He only plays 11 games that season. Uh, Cavs don't make the playoffs or anything. Kind of a disappointing season. And then he gets traded to the Jazz. And this last season for the Jazz, he played in 48 games, 15 games as a starter, 
Um, averaged 14 points per game, 2.9 assists per game. Shot pretty good, 39% from three and 50% from the field. So the biggest question I have around Colin Sexton is, is he going to be able to get back to that form? Because first of all, it's a health thing, but I also think it's a little bit of a confidence thing. Like you watch Colin Sexton and don't get me wrong. I don't think he's a player that lacks in confidence. I think he has an overwhelming amount of confidence, but I also think he was really bought into his confidence when he was playing in Cleveland. When you, there's just a, there seems to be a difference between current Colin Sexton and Cleveland Colin Sexton. And I do think the confidence is a part of that. I also think the role has been a part of that. Colin Sexton as a starter this season wasn't, was not bad. Uh, he averaged he played like 28.9 points per game 28.9 minutes per game um averaged 16 points per game 4.8 assists 2.2 rebounds shot pretty good shot 37% from the field from 3 53% from the field and my big concern was the turnovers he averaged two turnovers a game so like a, a 5 to 2 turnover assist to turnover ratio isn't great uh not the biggest fan of that, but also I thought he played pretty good as a starter. And I've talked about this a little bit. This is why, where I buy into Colin Sexton being the starter on opening night is I think he knows the system. I think he has potential as a playmaker that wasn't a, with that the jazz weren't able to explore as much as they would have liked last year. But I also think there's a lot, there's a chip on Colin Sexton's shoulder and there's a lot that he has the opportunity to prove. Around the trade deadline, the Jazz made it clear that they had three cornerstone pieces that they weren't willing to trade. Laurie Markkinen, Walker Kessler, and Ochag Baji. I wonder how Colin Selton, Colin Sexton felt about the omission of his name. I think that's probably a little bit of a tough spot to be in. Um, this last summer, this summer, recently, he has also been mentioned in trade rumors with the Bucks. It sounds like the Bucks are trying to get him. And I think the Jazz are probably not going to do anything there because the Bucks just can't put together a really great package. But it is interesting that they're having those conversations. Um, I don't think that's probably completely one-sided. I do think the Jazz maybe aren't super high on Colin Sexton. But I think he can prove himself. Um, I've thrown out the idea of Colin Sexton projecting to be a long-term sixth man, and that's fine. Uh, ideally, you probably don't want to pay your, 16, your sixth man $18 million a year, but if the production matches, then that's fine. That's totally fine. But Colin Sexton will be will have different opportunities this season. Um, like, it, like I said, it all starts with health. If Colin Sexton's able to play 30 minutes a game, play in 65 games, then you're going to feel good about the sample size that you got out of Colin Sexton. I think then you'll be able to make a rationally informed decision on his future. But right now, I just don't think we have the sample size. I don't think we have enough information to determine whether or not Colin Sexton can be a starting caliber point guard or whether or not he fits with the Jazz's long-term plans. So that's where I think Colin Sexton has the most to prove. I also think he has to prove his ability to be a point guard. Going through some of Colin Sexton's assists this last season, I haven't been overwhelmed by his passes and the reads he's making. I think a lot of times he just makes the simple pass, which is great. I'm all for that. Um, and on a level, that's that's you need that facilitative role. 
but I also think you need a guy that can go go out, break down defenses, throw lobs, um, force double teams. I think that's what you want to see a little bit more out of Colin Sexton and just his ability to run the point guard, the timing, the patience. Like, I think those are things that Mike Conley excelled at. He was incredible at timing and running the offense to a T, making sure that players had the right timing. Like, I think about this a lot. I think about the timing within an NBA scheme and how all the off-ball actions have to be timed perfectly and how if you're the point guard, you have to understand some of that timing. I think Mike Conley was an expert at that. I don't know if Colin Sexton is the same kind of expert. And because of that, I think he forces himself into situations that he doesn't necessarily need to force himself into. I think he could play a little bit more patiently. So that's what I'm watching for with Colin Sexton. I want to see how he's able to break down defenses, how he's able to run the offense. I do think he will be the point guard on starting on opening night. Like I would be surprised if it's somebody else. There's arguments for other players for sure. Don't get me wrong. But I also think the Jazz have have to figure out what they're going to do with Colin Sexton. And hey, even, even if they just want to like rehab his trade value and then trade him in the future, putting him in a position to shine is probably the best way to do that. So that's what I'm looking for with Colin Sexton. I do think he has a lot to prove this season. Does he have the most to prove? I don't know. Moving on to Ochai. I talked a little bit about Ochai earlier, so I won't talk about him too much. But here, here's my little thing with Ochai. I like when my shooting guards can create for themselves and for others. I think Ochai projects to be a shooting guard. Um, basketball, I know a lot of people think it's positionless. I personally don't believe it's positionless. I think players fit into certain categories and fit into certain positions. And you can't necessarily dictate a person's position just by their skill set or by their size, but you can get a pretty good idea. I think Ochai projects to be a shooting guard. And I think if you want to maximize his value, you want to put him at the two. Unfortunately, this is where my personal philosophy comes in. I think Ochai Baji doesn't have the playmaking set to be a secondary tertiary playmaker. Um, that's something I want to see more with him. And we've seen a little bit in the summer league. I think just him being able to make easy reads and being able to create a little bit off the dribble has been promising. Long term, though, how does he project to be a playmaker? Is he going to be somebody that can bring the ball down in a playoff game? Or somebody that you can put the ball in his hands if your other two guys are getting locked up and ask him to go create, go get a bucket, um, get somebody open? I really don't know. And that worries me a little bit about Ochai. I think this next year is going to be big for him as far as what he's able to show us and his long-term trajectory. Um, one comparison I threw, I saw on Twitter this last week was Royce O'Neal. I think they're similar players in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe the three-point shooting is comparable. The rebounding is kind of comparable. Royce O'Neal is somebody that can bring the ball down, though. And this is where I don't think Royce O'Neal gets enough credit. He was a pretty good passer. He was somebody that could dictate the offense. And maybe it's something that came with reps. Um, he played overseas with a little bit. I'm sure he had a lot of on-ball on ball opportunities there. Um he also played in the G League for a while, and he learned the Jazz's system. So maybe it's something where Ochai just has to learn and get more comfortable with the system before he's able to play make. But that's something I just want to see more out of him. Um, and that's something where I'm keeping an eye on. Another thing about Ochai, I want to 
looking at his efficiencies, his shooting splits, this is where I think he really needs to improve. Uh, shot 42% from the field last year, 35% from three. A lot of those threes coming out of the corner didn't shoot great on above the break threes. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on personally. Um, I want to see how he can do as a shooter and if he can improve. John Collins is the next player I want to get into. Um, I think he he's kind of similar to Ochai, to Collins Sexton, more similar to Colin Sexton, um, where he has the opportunity to rehab his value. Look, don't forget that Collins, that John Collins, Colin Sexton, John Collins. I, I love that we have both the Collins in the NBA. Got to get Zach next. But don't forget that in 2019 to 2020, he averaged 21 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, almost two blocks per game, shot 40% from three. Yes, 40% from three, 58% from the field. That was his best season. Compare that to his most recent season, 13.1 points per game, shot 29% from three, six rebounds per game. Just a big drop-off in production from 2019 to 2022 i'm a little bit worried about that however i do think collins is going to be put in a more friendly situation for some of his skills which i i kind of i kind of had a hard time being able to grasp this because when you think of john collins you think of like an elite lob threat and a good shooter somebody that thrives off the ball and somebody that you can put with trey young in like a lot of pick and roll actions that kind of just wasn't the case, though, and I'm not sure if I can exactly put my finger on what about that didn't work. Maybe there was just a chemistry issue between Collins and Trey Young and how they were able to operate together. Maybe you want John Collins playing in the post a little bit more. Maybe you want him with the ball in his hands a little bit more. Maybe that's how you optimize John Collins. I'm not totally sure. I haven't done enough breakdown on John Collins to be able to figure that out. But... I think he will be in a system where he does get more touches. I think he will have more opportunities to post up. He will get put in different situations that he wasn't put in with Trey Young. Um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playmaking a little bit. I don't think that would be his main role, but I do think that could be some of his role. So I'm curious to see how he's going to do with more touches. That's my that's my number one thing I want to see with John Collins. How do you do with the ball in your hands? Are you going to be somebody that needs others to create for you, or can you go and get your own bucket? Is that going to be something you can do? I also want to see how he can do as a backup center. I think this is maybe where John Collins wasn't the perfect fit with Atlanta because they had Clint Capella, they had Onyeka Kongwu. Like they always had one of those two guys playing. So I don't know how much John Collins played at the five, but that is something I would be curious to see. I'd love to see how he can operate as a five. Like, I I do think there are situations where the Jazz will put a lineup of Kelly Olenek and John Collins out as your front court or Taylor Hendricks, um, some combination of those three. And in that situation, I want to see how he's going to do as a five. Can he be a good enough rim protector? Can he be somebody that is able to orchestrate the defense and tell guys where to go, communicate? Uh, that's one of my big questions about John Collins, and I'd love to see how he does in that position. He also has to show us that the shooting from three last year was a fluke and that it was partly because of the injury. He shot 29.2% from three after being like a career 35% from three shooter. Just an incredibly bad season. I don't think there's any other way to put that. 
And man, if I I want to see what John Collins can do as a three point shooter, and if he can improve from that range. Look, the guy's shown it from uh, shown it before. He can shoot. He's not just like a corner shooter. He can shoot from above the break. He, he can shoot from up top. He's going to be put in a lot of different positions and playing alongside Walker Kessler and Larry Markkinen. I do think his floor spacing would be very valuable. So I want to be. I want to see him as a shooter. Lastly, I want to see him capitalize as as a defender. I don't think. Look, we say Larry Markkinen's a three. I agree. I think he's a small forward. Is Larry Markkinen a good enough defender to guard some of the threes, though? Is he mobile enough to guard Jason Tatum or Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker even? I, I don't, Not that Booker's a three, but I do think this is a question worth asking. Can John Collins be the guy that, guys, that guards threes? I think if you just look at him versus Larry Markkinen, he appears to be a little bit more laterally, laterally mobile. And that's that's what I'm keeping an eye on. Can he guard threes? Is he somebody you can put on the perimeter to guard? Or does he have to be kind of your secondary rim protector? Because um, I, I do think you would, I mean, just looking at their heights, you'd rather have Laurie Markinen as your secondary rim protector. You'd rather have him back there with Kessler than have John Collins back there just because Laurie Markinen is a seven-footer and John Collins is like six nine or 6'10". So I do think there's a little bit of sense in John Collins being maybe guarding three, guarding some of the three as being a perimeter defender. That's what I want to see from him. I think he has a lot to prove. I don't think he has the most to prove. Um, overall, I'm pretty, I'm pretty high on John Collins. And from a contract perspective, he probably does have the most to prove. So that's something to keep an eye on. I want to hit on Taylor Horton Tucker to finish this segment out. Um, I have I have questions about THT. He played fine last year, played good as a starter at the end of the season. A lot of people are impressed. But there's still a lot of areas of concern, which scares me for a guy that's entering his fifth year. Look, I know he's only 23. But at some point, like, He's not a 23-year-old. He's a five-year NBA veteran that hasn't figured out his role. And so it's hard to distinguish between those two things. This last year for the Jazz, he averaged 10.7 points per game, three rebounds per game, 3.8 assists per game, shot 41% from the field, and 28% from three. That's where that's where I'm more concerned than anything is the shooting. And I think part of it is probably shot selection. But part of it is also just like general sense of control, which I don't know if if you think of a controlled point guard, I don't know if THT is the first guy you think of. And I don't even know if he is a point guard. Maybe that's a distinction he has to make. Is he more of a shooting guard, somebody that you can play at the two? I don't know if he's a good enough shooter to be that or a good enough shooter to be the guy that's off the ball. So those are some of the questions I'm asking about Taylor Horton Tucker. He has a lot to prove this year because, like I said, it is a contract year for him. He will go into an open market next year, and he'll be trying to figure out, like, hey, do I have any potential suitors? Can I come back to the Jazz? Am I going to take a $5 million deal, or am I going to take a 10 to $15 million deal? I think those are probably some of the questions he's asking himself. 
uh, and I don't. I I wonder if that will have any kind of effect on his next season. Um. So I think there's Tht. He has a lot to improve. The other thing is the turnovers. Um. Average two turnovers per game in twenty minutes. And it's not just the turnovers, but it's more the general decision-making and how he's able to do as a decision-maker. I don't think decision-making is his strength. He shows flashes of being a heady playmaker. Like, I think in transition, he really thrives as a playmaker. Um, I also think he's pretty good in the pick-and-roll and throws some really good lobs. Like, I love I love his two-man game with Walker Kessler. I think they have some really good chemistry there. But... I don't know. I want to I wanna be able to see more from him. If he's going to be a point guard, you want him to be a more steady presence than what he is. Because, like I said, I, I do think he's a little bit out of control as a player. I just think he puts himself in difficult situations. He goes with a full head of steam. It doesn't feel like his decisions are always calculated. And because of that, I, I wonder if he can be a point guard or if he would be better suited to be a secondary ball handler or a shooting guard because look the guy he's 6'4 234 like he's a big boy I think he can play up a position especially with how big his wingspan is so I wouldn't totally write THT's career off if he can't figure out how to be a point guard I just think he has to figure out what he's going to be in the NBA when he walked into the NBA people were talking about him as a star and it's kind of silly silly going back to that now uh, because you think about THT now and you're like, oh, he's he's more of kind of a joke. I mean, that's not a good way to put it. Excuse me. I think he's he just has a an unfortunate rep that it comes with playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. And so for him to be able to prove that he's a serious player, that he's a player that can impact winning on a night-to-night basis is key. That's going to keep him in the league. If he can't prove that, then I don't know how much longer we'll see THT. And look, the guy, he's 23. He he still has time to figure this out. He's an incredible athlete and does some really special things on the basketball court. So I don't think the world is necessarily over for THT if the season goes poorly. But there's a lot to prove there. And ultimately, I think he has more to prove than anybody else on the Jazz roster. Because it's ultimately, it's it's probably going to decide what his career looks like from here on out. I think if he's able to really figure out a role, then he could get paid. Here, here's a name. Here's a name. Somebody that I think he should try to emulate. Bruce Brown. Uh, maybe this is a really bad comparison. I'm kind of thinking about it. I don't think it's terrible comparison Bruce Brown he kind of came out of college and people didn't really know what to make of him I think it's kind of the same with THT like I'm I don't think people really have a good read on him and the type of player that he'll be so I wonder if there's room for him to just grow and expand his game could he try to emulate Bruce Brown be a guy that plays up positions that defends at a high level because he has the tools can he be a guy that also playmakes that does a lot of stuff off the ball that can even be an okay shooter. Like Bruce Brown is not a good shooter. I don't know how he got so hot in the playoff run for Denver. He's not a historically good shooter, 
but he played really good. And I think I think that's kind of the model you have to go for if you're THD. If he could be that guy for the Jazz this next season, be a guy that just is always making the right play, that's always playing really hard, then I'm all in on THD. I'm all in on the experience, the age, the athleticism. I think he could even improve from there. But before he's able to improve, I just think he needs to figure out his role. And so that's what I'm going to be watching with THD. Coming up after a little break, we will be talking about the midseason tournament. Why is the NBA doing this? Why should fans care? And then we'll close out the episode. The NBA announced their midseason tournament. I'm pretty excited about it. I don't I don't know how everybody else is feeling about it. Here's the thing. If you just talk to anybody that maybe slightly pays attention to the NBA, watches the playoffs, watches the occasional jazz game. The idea of an in-season tournament is going to sound so stupid. I get that. But the more you dive into it, the more potential I think it has. And I think it's actually a really good idea by the league. So there's a couple of questions I had about it. Why is the NBA doing this? But first, let's kind of break it down. Let's break down what it's going to look like, and then we'll get into some of those questions. So it starts out with group play. All 30 teams have been randomly drawn into groups of five within their conference based on one loss records um, from this last season. So Utah's group is the Memphis Grizzlies, Los Angeles Lakers, Phoenix Suns, and Portland Trailblazers, along with Utah. So interesting group. Like It's actually kind of a, a really stacked group at the top, and then you have Utah and the Blazers down at the bottom. But I think it's fun. So you have group play for a little bit. I think uh, you have one game against each opponent, two games at home, two on the road. Then after that, you have the knockout rounds. So eight teams will advance to the knockout rounds. The team with the best standing in group play games in each of those, in each of the six groups and two wild cards. So very similar to like the World Cup where the winner of the group stage goes onto the knockout rounds and then you have two wild card teams. And it's typically the team from each conference with the best record in group play that finishes second in its group. Okay. Then the knockout rounds will be single elimination games in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and championship. So that's kind of like a breakdown on how it's going to go. Um, the I believe the semifinals and championship will be in Vegas. It doesn't really affect the regular season because these games will be counted as regular season games in terms of them being counted as part of the 82. And towards your end of... I actually don't know. Is it towards your end of season record? I believe so. Uh, that was the only way that would make sense. So, you know, a lot of players will probably think, hey, these are just other games. But I think the NBA is smart by doing this. First of all, they're staying relevant at a time where college football is kind of winding down, like you're getting into bowl season towards the end of December. That's when these games start to pick up. And then the NFL is almost, I mean, it's not like peak NFL season. You're not entering the playoffs uh, and it's not like right in the middle. So I think, I, I think it's a good time for the NBA to stay relevant and a good time of the season because like people really don't care about the NBA until Christmas day. I think that's when people start caring a little bit. And then after the all stake, all-star break is when 
it's the only sport on and people start caring a lot more. By doing this, the NBA stays somewhat relevant. They'll have these games. They'll promote them super, super well, I imagine. Uh, people will be kind of intrigued by the idea of an in-season tournament and games that actually matter in December. Because I think that's like the whole holdup with a lot of NBA games is because there's so many, it's hard to justify which ones matter, matter and which ones don't. Why should fans care? I think I just answered that. Um However, I do think I do think there there's another vertical here. The teams that historically win, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Warriors, I don't know how much they'll care about the NBA in season tournament, especially with some of those groups that those teams have. I don't know how much they'll care. The teams that historically lose, you know, like the Orlando Magic, the Indiana Pacers, the Charlotte Hornets the Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder. Are they going to care? I kind of think, I, I think, I think so. Uh, a team like Orlando, like if I have to make an early pick as to who's going to win the in-season tournament, I'm picking Orlando. Uh, I just think you're going to have a team that goes on like, has a hot stretch because that's what, that's what basketball is all about. Um, and in the playoffs, it's about who is going to be hot in the playoffs and what you can do to get hot. And, you know, maybe a team like Orlando or like Charlotte is going to have a hot stretch of the season, and it's just going to perfectly align with the NBA in-season tournament. That's going to be really fun. People are going to pay attention to that. And if one of those teams makes a run, it's going to be a really great story. People are going to love that. I think it's an awesome opportunity. Um, One thing I love about the NCAA tournament and the single elimination factor is I think it allows for great stories to appear and manifest manifest themselves. I think the same thing is going to happen with the NBA in season tournament, probably not to the same extent, but I do think it could happen to an extent. Um, I wonder how players are going to feel about this. That's kind of my question. Uh, you probably don't get your superstars caring too much. The guys that are making 40, $50 million a year, but maybe they do care. Maybe they will care on a level. Um, the team that wins, they get $500,000 bonuses. Each of the players, from what I understand, that's a lot of money if you're the guy at the end of a bench. Like a guy like Johnny Juzang, that's a lot of money for you. Or Micah Potter. That's awesome. That's That totally changes your career and some of the things you're able to do. That's like double your yearly earnings. That's awesome. I think... That's a really big deal for players that aren't earning as much as superstars. And even for the superstars, it could be a big deal. Look, 500K would be a huge deal for me. So I can't understand not caring about that money, but that's just me. So I wonder if there's a ripple effect in NBA locker rooms where because some of these guys at the end of the bench do care, it affects some of their teammates. And I think like this is where you'll kind of be able to see who's a good teammate and who's not by how much they're trying how much they're caring like is a guy like Nikola Jokic gonna try these games because he likes his teammates and because he's always trying to do the best by his teammates I'd bet on it I'd bet he's try. I bet he tries in these games does a guy like Kawhi Leonard who maybe historically hasn't shown up for his teammates I don't know I can't really answer to whether or not he cares so I I don't know I think I think you on a certain level you probably will get some engagement from the players, I do think they are going to like it. 
here's the one thing I want to see. The one thing I want to see from the NBA in-season tournament. I want to see jerseys exclusive for the tournament. I think, like, if you're trying to make money, which the NBA is clearly trying to do by this, um, it'll be a big thing for TV deals. Some brand is going to have their name all up on this tournament. If you want to make even more money, create exclusive jerseys for the tournament. Get your best artists, get teams to create their specific in-season tournament jersey. Name it however you want. You have the city, you have the statement, you have your all your jerseys. Add another one. Make a bunch of revenue off that. Let teams design, design an awesome um, in-season tournament jersey. Maybe it doesn't have to match their color scheme. Maybe it's just cool. I think that could be a big hit. So that's what I want to see from the NBA, NBA in-season tournament. Overall, I'm really excited. I do think it's a great idea. I think being relevant at that time of year is going to be important, and I'm excited to see what the Jazz do in that time of year with their Group A. Thank you all for listening to the Swish Lake City podcast. I appreciate all the recent support. It's been awesome. As always, make sure you are following on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube at Swish Lake City. Feel free to watch and subscribe there. And last of all, make sure to follow me at Jazz Lead on Twitter, where I'm posting daily content, trying to break down the Jazz, breaking down historical games, um, looking at some of my favorite players, posting highlights. Got it all right there. Thank you all, and uh, we will see you next time.